This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Honestly, I had no idea this was going to generate this much discussion at work today. It just seemed like a casual thing that one of our producers mentioned. She said that she had had dinner with a friend last night and that friend asked her to put her on a blind date, essentially set her up with somebody. She said, can you find me somebody that I could date that I could perhaps have a relationship with? She's tired of online dating. She said she'd had enough. She didn't want to do that anymore. She felt that she had exhausted all of these other options. So she now wanted to be set up by friends, like to spread the word among friends to try to find her somebody. So we started asking people then, well, how did you meet your significant other? Like, where is the best place in 2019 to meet someone and to develop a relationship? Do you think it's online? Like, I know everybody thinks it's online, but increasingly, I just hear so many people kind of frustrated with the whole online dating process. So is it online? Is it at a bar? Hey, we had at least two people in our workplace who said that's where they had met their significant other. Or is it through friends? Or maybe it's through school or work. Mine was school, right? So how about you? Where's the best place in 2019 to meet someone and develop a relationship? That's our hot question of the day today. So go to Sarah 980 to cast your vote on this. You can go to at CKNW. Essentially, we are looking for your advice. And do you have a story to tell us about how you met your significant other? Because we'd love to pass this on to this friend of ours. So give us a call on our buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ, 331-2899. There are some great stories out there about how people met their significant others. We heard one today that we are going to play for you a little bit later, and it'll blow your mind. Like, And I had no idea that people actually met this way. It was a great one. We will have that for you coming up after the 11 o'clock news. But that's our question today. Where in 2019 is the best place to meet someone and develop a relationship? Is it online, a bar, through friends, school, work? What is it? Simi Sarah 980 or at CKNW. Cast your vote on that. All right, we're having a little fun on this Friday before the long weekend, and so we need some uh, dating advice. To find out how all of this got started, we are joined by CKNW, CKNW <laughs> contributor. It's Friday, Claire. Claire Allen. Hi. Uh, hello. Okay, so you had dinner with a friend last night. Yes, yeah, so I was with my friend. It's a little bit of background information. Fabulous young lady. In her early 30s, gainfully employed in a management position. Lives in a rents a place in the West End, uh, in Kitsilano, rather, sorry. And wonderful girl, super smart, super, super accomplished, smart. just great. I know this young lady too. Yes. Super smart. Yes. yes. Just amazing. Can hold a conversation, you know, has lots to say, lots of thoughts and opinions, very respectful, wonderful. Anyway, so she was telling me that she's had a hard time meeting someone. And I asked her, What do you mean? I hear everyone's online. I was wrong. She told me that, <laughs> no, I haven't had a lot of success. I meet a lot of duds online. And that's something I've heard huh. from other people that have been online dating. Not the case across the board, but something that I'm hearing. And so then she asked me, do you know anybody that I could date? Or do you know where I could go to meet someone? And my face, you, I had no you idea. Drew a blank. I drew a blank. Just How a long blank have you stare. been in a relationship for? I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. I'm engaged. So you're... <laughs> You're of no help whatsoever. I'm off the market. I don't know how one dates in 2019. And so when she asked me, she was just left with a deer and headlights look because I have (laughs) no idea. And so I was wondering, 
where where do you meet somebody if you're not going to go online? Right. In 2019, when people are addicted to their phones and, you know, Vancouver is known for not being, people aren't very warm and maybe outgoing and they don't really talk to people. Everybody always says that about Vancouver, though, that we are not as friendly. E- I was trying to find another way to say that, <laughs> that we are perhaps yeah, not as gregarious and outgoing as people are used to in other places. Right. So if you're going out you may not meet somebody as you might in another province. As easily. Yes, exactly. So I really had you came no to work. idea. I went, came to work and I just surveyed people and was like, do you know anybody? Yeah. <laughs> she, she's essentially been working this morning as a matchmaker, asking every man that she has come across, do you have a friend? And then asking questions. So you're, you're doing the work for her, essentially. Yes, I am moonlighting as a matchmaker. And you heard um, some good stories during that. I have heard some great stories. And so we went around the office today and we asked people, where did you meet your significant other? And here's what we heard. Inebriated at a New Year's Eve party at a bar in university studying the same course i met my wife at a show at the biltmore in a bollywood film class at university do you want me to say like i met my wife yeah i met my wife at work uh neil and i met because his best friend was engaged to my cousin um and she had thrown an elaborate birthday party for him so we met at that birthday party and I only really noticed him several hours later when he started singing Spice Girls karaoke in the basement of that party. And then it was true love. See, I was going to say, most people would say, I'm out at that point. Like, who's that guy and why is he singing Spice Girls karaoke? But clearly she saw something in yes, him. Yes, definitely. She knew that his love they, they would, two be, would become one, if you will. So that's a quite a random, nobody there said online. Right, that's true. No one there did say online, but... That's what I'm hearing is that that's where you go if you want to meet someone, regardless of your age. So I'm just, I would love to know from people, if they have someone that's single in their life, where do they recommend that they meet someone? Or if you're single yourself, where are you looking? Where are the, where where are the, where are all the single, single people? people? I need where to are know. the single people who want to have a relationship? Not the, you just want to casually online date yeah, because you have nothing to better to do. Tinder, we don't, Grindr, no, no. Don't, we don't, don't send us that. None of that yeah. stuff. <laughs> but we would like to know, where do you find someone that is looking for a committed relationship in the Metro Vancouver? Do you go to the bar? Do you meet on the bus? Do you go to a dog park? I don't know because I am out of the game. So I have no idea. Did you Sydney. hear some of those calls that we got? We oh. had one gentleman who called and said McDonald's. Like where? In the drive-thru? <laughs> oh, no. But I guess you can meet someone anywhere, but it just seems very difficult. One lady called us and said, told uh, your friend to mm. get on the SkyTrain, take it to the end of the line in downtown Vancouver, get on the C-Bus, go across to North Vancouver to Lonsdale Key okay. on a Saturday morning, she said, and there's lots of available men, she said, at Lonsdale Key. Just... Uh, there waiting around I don't know for having a, a coffee woman. maybe at the end of their jog but maybe then what do you do just walk up and say hello hi or I don't know but she she, has, this lady seemed to suggest that she'd had success doing this I thought because I have two dogs I thought I could lend my dogs, dogs to my friend and she could go to the dog park wasn't that a John Cusack Diane Lane movie it, must love dogs yes, must love dogs and I think it works because I talk to people at the dog, dog park, park but I'm not looking for anyone, but I think if you were you might find a like-minded individual if you love dogs so you're saying she should get a pet and that might help her meet people. Well, there are people. many reasons, many benefits to getting a pet, but that could be one for the love connection. Right. I was saying dogs do make you more social because you're just out and about. You're walking the dogs. You meet people. You just talk to people. You want to stop and admire their dog. Yep. It- Suddenly, you're in love. <laughs> okay. Well, not quite. Now, one of the stories that we heard today was probably the most unique story. It's a great story. And yes. 
a very unusual. Yes, you're right. Very unusual story. Very unusual. Have a listen to what we heard. I went to a wedding this summer for a couple of friends who met through the Craigslist I Saw You page. She had gone a couple of years ago to the grocery store to pick up some soy sauce and asked a very handsome assistant manager for help in locating this soy sauce. And when my friend left, she thought, hey, that that manager was pretty cute. But instead of going back to ask him out, she just left it up to the hands of fate. She posted an I saw you post on Craigslist. Eventually, it got back to him. They went on one date. And now, several years later, they are married. I, I, I couldn't believe that because I thought I always read those, mm-hmm. not on Craigslist, but, you know, here, there and everywhere. <laughs> and I'm always sad when I read them because I think, oh, that sounded like they had a good connection. They're never going to meet because who actually connects through those things? So apparently um, the groom, his friend read it and said, oh, my gosh, this sounds like my friend who is an assistant manager at IGA and then brought them together. So really, I mean, if it wasn't for that guy, those two would never have made the connection. They'd never be married and the love would have been lost. So they got married and they and it was because of the I saw you section on Craigslist. Yeah, I guess they, you know, he said, you got to meet this mind. girl. She posted about you and they just hit it off, which is amazing because I read those stories too, Simi. I see them in like and the I'm Georgia like, oh, Strait. That's and, the end of that. Yeah. I always wonder if I'm going to be mentioned in there. Let's try to see if like oh, anyone Claire. saw me at the dog <laughs> oh, park. No, no, nobody did never, that. No one's that's never happened. <laughs> uh, so, so, and they're getting married, which is really remarkable. Yeah. And they are married. Unbelievable. It's great. So, I mean, I I did not recommend the I Saw You section to my friend because, I don't know, I think we could start off doing something a little bit better. And I would love to hear from people about where someone in their 30s, 40s, any age, really. Late 20s, 30s, somebody who's ready for something more serious. Yeah. Somebody just doesn't want to, like constantly be going on coffee dates for people that they met online. Just, exactly. They don't want to, they don't do want to be part of the hookup culture. They want a committed relationship with someone who's serious. And I honestly do not know where to find someone like that. Remember the movie Wedding Crashers? Yes. Great, right? You're suggesting I, she should crash some, some weddings? A uh, funeral. <laughs> do you remember oh, right. that great scene in Wedding Crashers yes. where it turns out Will Ferrell has progressed beyond that? He started crashing funerals and meeting people at funerals. Uh, Terry has emailed me to say, at a funeral... Excellent prospects, well-dressed, social. That's awkward. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to recommend this Can't just this randomly yet. go to a funeral. Not yet. <laughs> no. Maybe in a few years if things haven't turned out well. What are, what are your suggestions? You can call our buzz line 604-331-BUZZ, 331-2899. Claire, thank you. Thank you, Simi. I hope we can get some good advice for this friend of Claire's who is looking to find somebody. You can also email me, Simi at cknw.com. And it's also our hot question of the day online. 68% of people who've responded so far are saying, through friends. That's all well and good, but you got to do the legwork. Claire's been essentially searching profiles on Facebook and checking resumes the whole morning to see if they're, you know, they can go out with her friend. How do you meet somebody these days? What What do you think you should do? What's the advice you have? How did you meet your partner? Tell me your stories. Call our buzz line or email me. How did this all start? It started because last night I was out for dinner with my friend, as I've described her, fabulous young woman in her early 30s, great job, super smart, wonderful girl looking for a partner, exhausted the online option, not a lot of results, asked me where she could meet somebody, was met with a look of deer and headlights because I have no idea. She wants you to set her up, essentially. She was like, find me people, like friends through friends or whatever, that she can essentially go out on a blind date with, which I admire her for doing that. A lot of people wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's really putting yourself out there. And you're right, it's very admirable. But I don't even know where to look. So she came to work today and brought this up and we spent pretty much the whole morning 
trying to come up with people. You've been checking Facebook accounts. Yep. You have been checking resumes, references, references the whole thing. <laughs> you went all out for this. So pretty much she asked the exact right person to tackle this for yes, her. Yes, exactly. But what if I can't find anybody? You know, might be possible. Maybe I can't find a good oh, candidate. I find that so the very question believe, is, but... where could she go to meet somebody? And I was racking my brain trying to think about where I would go if I were single. Where would I find someone? And so we asked the NW listeners for their advice. And I'm going to start things off because we got a ton of response. I can today. tell this. A ton yes. of response. Our first person suggested that my friend join a club. Try joining clubs of uh, things that you're already involved with. Uh, join a running club or a hiking club or a mountain biking club. If you like playing hockey, join a co-ed team. If you like reading, a book club. Uh, you can always try friends and family or work, but uh, you can also try the old-fashioned way at a bar. I don't know about that bar thing. Well, you know, we had two people. <laughs> Our producer, Dwayne, just <laughs> almost high-fived himself on this. He met his significant other at a bar. We had two people that we work with who who the bar situation worked for them. That was like two out of like 15 people. It's not great. It wasn't great. I don't know. We asked that at our hot question of the day today. We put the bar option on there and I don't think people aren't dismissing it out of hand, but it's only 7% of the people who thought that was a good way to meet somebody. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, it's it's not great odds that you're going to meet somebody that you maybe want to spend a long time with. Super great that Dwayne and another person in, in our newsroom did, but I don't think that's a likely outcome. So our, another caller to the CKNW buzzline suggested that my friend practice is her one-two step. Tell her to start going to the dance floors, particularly the bar with the dance floor. I met my gorgeous wife at Newlands Golf and Country at a simple dance floor. It's a perfect place to meet another single, and it works. I can tell you it works from experience. Just got a phone number, and the rest is history. Just go to the dance floors, and you'll meet all kinds of folks. Is he talking like the discotheque? Is yeah. that what he's like? <laughs> Your local discotheque? I think they've been married for a while now. If you go I think. In a, back in a time machine, yeah. go to a discotheque. Go, go out for a date, watch a movie, Saturday Night Fever, and then go dancing. Yeah, I don't that. know. I mean, that's awesome that he managed to meet his beautiful wife, as he said. But I'm not exactly mm, sure where you would find a dance floor here where you could possibly meet somebody. Maybe at a wedding. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I had a couple of people who tweeted to suggest meetup.com. Yeah. Yes, and that is very interesting that you bring that up because another caller suggested finding a group of like-minded individuals. Hi, I kind of came into the conversation a little late, but I don't know if anybody brought up the idea of uh, meetup groups. There is hundreds and thousands of them, and I actually met my wife through a meetup, and it's a wonderful opportunity to participate in something that you enjoy, and if you're fortunate enough to meet someone, uh, I'm in my later 50s, and I, I was dealing with Meetup for several years, met some very lovely ladies, and then ultimately I found my perfect woman. And, um, yeah, no, it's a beautiful opportunity, and, and you get to see people doing things that you enjoy as well. Okay, that's cool. So that's I had a couple cool. people tweet, you go to meetup.com, and you mm-hmm. can do anything. You can join, like, a group of people going hiking or a group of people forming their own book club. And that, to me, sounds, like, pretty good for your friend because yeah. I know that she also likes to read. She does love to read, yes. This might be – that might work. That's a great – I'm going to take this back to her. That, okay. I think so far – that is the best option out of everything that has been suggested. Okay, you had I some like other that ones? one for sure. So I got another one who said, you know, a friend should just take transit a little bit more. I met my wife in 1976 at a bus stop. We have been inseparable ever since. 
I feel like there's more to that story. Uh, <laughs> I feel so, like he needs to expand a little bit on the, the discussion, what made them hit it off, you know? Maybe they just started talking. I you can't don't just know. say everybody should meet at a bus stop. Sometimes I have met some interesting people on the bus that I don't want to know any more <laughs> than I Well, I think do. he got lucky. Like, he did. Clearly he exactly. did. They did, yes. And so the another uh, caller to the bus line suggests that my friend should just go back to school. Huh? I actually met my fiancé uh, in a creative writing class at university. And I really liked her story and wanted to ask her to go to coffee. And when I did, she ran from me. According to her, it's because her dad is waiting to pick her up. But she ran about two more times when I asked. And on the fourth time, she agreed to go out. So, you know, just the point, that perseverance does pay off as long as you're not creepy about it. Yeah, I was going to say, first, kudos for your perseverance. Yes. If uh, someone ran in the other direction of got me, what, I think the right, a regular person might be like... Okay, that was weird, and I'm not ever asking that person out again. But he clearly must have really liked her. The story must have really impressed him. Yeah, it must have really made an impact on him, and he asked. And at the end, he said, the key is, don't be creepy. <laughs> don't be creepy. School is a good one, because that's how you met your fiancé. Fiance. That's how I met my husband. Yep. But what? let's say you're not in school, because you're not, you know, you're in the workforce. Yeah. And sometimes you don't meet anybody at work, and it can be a little difficult to date in the workplace. Some people would say, don't. Don't do it. Don't yeah. fish off that company <laughs> yeah, pier. Exactly. It can be trouble. So, yeah, I mean, Where we, got do you go? Some, we got some good advice there. I'm going to go with meetup.com, and I'm going to recommend that to my friend. I'm going to tell her. Just plug in some interests and maybe you'll find somebody. You never know. Uh, let me read some of the emails that I've Please gotten because I've gotten a lot of them. This is my favorite one. This is from Edward. Edward, what a story. Edward says, my story is pretty unusual. In 1984, he said, I boarded a 747 between Johannesburg and London. It was an overnight flight on my way back to Vancouver. He said, an attractive South African girl sat next to me and love blossomed, he said, on the 12-hour flight. We spent a couple of romantic days in London before she carried on to Germany and me back to Vancouver. And he said, you know, in those days, communication wasn't all that easy. So like dust in the wind, he said, she was gone. Aww. I know. 26 years later, he saw a movie called Before Sunrise. Have you seen Before Sunrise? No, but it sounds wonderful. Julie Delpy, Ethan Hawke, great movie. <laughs> About a couple and a one-day romance that they have in Vienna. Mm. He said, it brought it all back to me. Remember, this is 26 years yeah. later. About that mystery woman in London. He said, I spent a couple of years searching for her online. I wound up with three friends with the same name, but not the original. Finally, out of the blue, she contacted him. I flew to Zurich for a reunion. It was like magic. We have been inseparable ever since. No. Yeah. Amazing. I know. She's now a Canadian. We are happily married. We went to Vienna and toured every spot where the movie Before Sunrise was filmed. And we also traveled to South Africa, met up with the other people who had the same name that he'd been contacting and chatting with. Oh. <laughs> this is, that's the most romantic story I've heard. <laughs> is that not amazing? This beautiful story. Oh my gosh. And the perseverance, like 26 years later, he's still thinking about the woman that he spent like a couple days within London. They were destined to be together they because were. they both weren't with anyone. They were yeah. waiting for true love. They always in the back of their mind realize that, oh, that was the person oh, Why can't me. my life be so romantic? Look at you're engaged <laughs> to be married, okay? That uh, was a beautiful story, though. That's a great story I that know. You, your grandkids will tell. Everybody oh, will everybody tell, that, tell story. that story. Another good one that I heard was uh, Raphael, who emailed me to say, I met my now wife, and you like the story because I read this to you, at my friend's place. She was coming by to purchase some aquarium fish from my friend as 
because he and I bred them and sold them online. He said, I wasn't planning on coming by that day, but I decided to stop by for lunch, he said, not knowing that that she was going to be there. Then I saw her, he said, we hit it off. We were friends for almost a year. We fell in love. 10 years later, we now run an aquarium services company together and have a happy marriage and life. Ah, that was beautiful. How great is that, right? I mean, two people that both love... Aquarium fish. fish. <laughs> what are the together? <laughs> Two fish, one tank. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. <laughs> that is fish, that's a, that is a, a wonderful a good story. One, right? Yeah. Tell us your story because I have so many emails here. I didn't even get a chance to get through all of them. Send me at cknw.com or keep calling your buzz line with your advice. Call our buzz line with your advice about what Claire's friend should do to try to meet some people, where she should go. Give her some hints at that. We'll still be talking about this. Let's talk about some health-related news here for you now. Honey is incredibly popular these days, right? People look at it as a more natural kind of sweetener. People think it has health benefits or they believe that. And so they use honey instead of refined sugar. But when you go to the store to buy honey, how do you know that the product you're buying is real and perhaps not adulterated with corn syrup and maybe some other artificial ingredients? The Canadian Food Inspection Agency has actually found that more than a fifth of imported honey failed its purity tests. So fake honey has things uh, like other sugars in there, like corn syrup, rice syrup, cane sugar syrup, those, you know, just to kind of as filler to make it all look like honey. Now, Carrie Clark is the president of the BC Honey Producers Association. He told our Nikki Reitmeyer exactly what consumers should be on the lookout for. Well, it's a busy time of year right now. This is the middle of what we call the honey flow. That's the period in the year when the the bees' population is maximum. We've had kind of quite a bit of rain the last three weeks. But in spite of that, they've done really well and they've collected a lot of honey. Then the beekeeper's work begins. Then you go out and remove it from the hive. And uh, and then it's a, it's a fairly simple process that has a lot of uh, stickiness to it <laughs> to uh, remove it from the honeycombs. And then it's just a matter of straining the little bits of wax out and then putting it in containers and it's ready to go. Now, admittedly, I have a lack of knowledge on honey extraction and beekeeping, but what it sounds like is that you're describing the process of natural honey. So in contrast, what is fake honey? Well, for, for many years, people have used things like corn syrup or other syrups to adulterate, to mix with true honey. Those other syrups are are much uh, less expensive to produce. And for many years, that adulteration was fairly fairly readily detected by uh, food authorities, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. But a few years ago, uh, people developed a way to, to make syrup from rice. And, and that product was very difficult to detect in honey. And just in the last few years people have caught up to the to the technology and we now have a a high tech pretty expensive but but uh, reliable way of of testing honey to to make sure that it's true now honey has some health benefits and and it also there's a great value to the pollination that is provided by the bees it's worth about tenfold what uh, the honey that's produced by colonies are. So any product that is added to honey reduces the benefit of the bees 
and reduces the uh, the economic viability of beekeeping. So there, there are people who make their living that uh, that way. It's a little bit like someone producing fine scotch and being uh, and competing with people who are just using a, a industrial alcohol that has some smoke added. Right. I think that's a very good comparison. This fake honey is it generally coming from countries outside of Canada? Yes, yes. The little piece in the news right now is that the, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency has just uh, given a report and they tested m- many samples of honey from across con- uh, Canada and also you know, uh, honeys that have been imported and are available to customers in, in Canada. And the two big pieces of news was they found that that uh, all of the honey that was produced in Canada was authentic. And uh, well, it was about uh, a quarter or a third of the honeys from uh, outside Canada were found to be adulterated with these other syrups. So as a consumer who wants to support your industry to get the health benefits of honey, what can that consumer do to make sure that they, when they're at the store, are buying real natural honey? Well, there's there's two ways of doing it. I guess one would, uh, maybe the ideal way would be to seek out a, a local beekeeper, um, perhaps farmer's market or someone that they can get referred to as someone who actually produces bees in the area. Uh, the other way, and it's probably easier for people in large cities, would would be to look at the container and make sure that it says product of Canada if that label is true, and it should be, it is uh, to be expected that uh, that will be authentic honey. Well, I think that sounds like a fine solution. Just make sure that you're buying Canadian and you're going to be buying real honey. That's exactly right. That is excellent advice. So check your label. I know it's tempting sometimes to buy the cheaper stuff, but if you want to make sure that what you're getting is 100% honey, that is the advice from Carrie Clark, president of the BC Honey Producers Association. If you want made no secret of the fact this week that my favorite story had to do with Colin Dowler. Colin is the incredible man with the unbelievable story. He was attacked and survived a grizzly bear attack. This is He was the one who, when we first heard the details, it almost sounded like, no, you can't make this stuff up. But we've learned more about it as the week progressed. So he was riding his bike on a logging road north of Powell River, When a grizzly stalked him and attacked him, he managed to get his pocket knife out. Like, we're not talking some big hunting knife or anything like that. Little two-inch pocket knife. Managed to get it out. Managed to stab the bear in the neck a couple of times. So the bear essentially ran off. And he then tied up his wounds. Like, he used the pocket knife to cut up his shirt to create, like, tourniquets and get back on his bike managed to bike seven kilometers down the road to a logging camp where fortunately some people there knew industrial first aid were they able to kind of take care of him and call in the helicopter to come and get him. Colin is now recovering in hospital. And given the high, high level of interest in this story, because people just think it's amazing, he spoke with Global BC and told reporters about how he just fought this bear and how he survived the attack. Have a listen to Colin Dowler's story. I was uh, on a hike uh, to just find a route up a mountain and on my way back down, uh, I got onto my mountain bike, had a logger actually drive me uh, 
up to where the logging road craps out. So I was uh, riding my mountain bike back down and came across a grizzly bear uh, walking up the road the opposite direction of me. Uh, so I wasn't really sure what to do about the situation. So I just uh, largely stood there and uh, let the grizzly keep walking up towards me. Uh, I guess it overwhelmed me, kind of walked past me and kind of came around and I had a hiking pole. I just kind of tried to poke it away with my hiking pole, but didn't want to do anything too aggressive. And I was talking to the bear, explaining to it that, you know, we don't have to have a problem here. Everything's okay. And it just started pushing on my bike and threw my backpack off. It had some food in it. I sniffed at the pack and seemed more interested in me and ultimately overwhelmed me and my uh, my bike and then me and kind of grabbed me by the stomach and kind of pushed me down, dragged me towards a ditch maybe 50 feet. And I tried eye gouging it away, but it didn't really work. And I think it shook me and spun me around and crossed over top of me. So like its haunches were here and mostly chewing on this uh, femur or uh, thigh. And uh, I was trying to peel its lips back or its mouth back and it bit me on the arm and bit my foot and then bit this leg a few times. And I tried to have this little pocket knife my dad had given me like two weeks earlier. And I tried getting to it and it was just too much pain with the bear chewing away. I could hear like the grating sounds. And uh, then because of the pain of that, I just tried playing dead, but I couldn't do that because kept chewing so the dead thing wasn't going to work uh, so somehow I don't know how I did it I used both hands to pull underneath the bear to get to that knife and I, I grabbed the knife out and opened it and put it in this hand and stabbed the bear in the neck and it let go of me immediately and was bleeding quite badly and it, uh, walked back up to where my bicycle was and my backpack and I could see it was bleeding pretty badly um, but when I moved, it still kind of reacted and it walked by me and sort of towards the bush and tried to move back towards my bike and it moved again. I wasn't really sure if it was dying faster than I was or what was going on. So I uh, took the same knife and got a long sleeve shirt on and cut the sleeve off the shirt to make a tourniquet for my leg while the... Uh, uh, bear was still standing there sort of looking at me and bleeding but not bleeding as much anymore and so I wondered what to do so I tied the tourniquet on uh, and I tried crawling to back to my bicycle and I think I probably lost track of the bear at this point it didn't seem like it was coming for me again and the rocks on the logging road were like too painful on my knees which doesn't really make sense uh, for me to crawl so I flipped over onto my butt and I use my better leg to push myself back to uh, my bicycle and I tried to mount my bicycle and I fell off doing that and I thought I got one more chance to do this right and got on the bike and got on it. It was a seven kilometer ride from there back to camp and the first four or so of that was relatively flat like I had to do quite a bit of pedaling before I was on a glide down. And uh, I got back to the logging camp where uh, Vito had originally given me a lift up 
to the nine kilometer mark and I uh, flopped down at uh, like on their steps to their uh, um, I guess their rec room or uh, where they eat and yelled for help in a helicopter and uh, luckily there was five guys there so it wasn't just Vito there was four other guys and they all had level one first aid and they all band together to sort it all out and keep me alive and take care of me and call in air ambulance and right so it was an hour of just having them work with me and getting in touch with some of my family so they could help out as well and then yeah I got heli lifted here and then yeah here, here I am now yeah they saved my life here he is now. That was just the most amazing story. And listen to him tell it in just that, you know, well, this is kind of what happened to me, tone of voice. And I I don't know of many people who could have done what he did to have had the wherewithal to think enough to, I've, I've got to get this knife, this, and what would most people would have thought, a tiny knife out of, you know, his pocket and fight back on that. Just the description too of hearing the bear, you know, kind of chewing on, oh, just unreal. Colin Dowler, you are my hero. That is a great story. Uh, and just even the doctors and, and the medical professionals are saying it's just a miracle. He's going to be fine. He's recovering in hospital. You look at him and you think, wow, those injuries do not seem to correlate with the story that he actually told. And that's what doctors are amazed about too. So clearly just a very, very lucky man who was thought the right things at the right moment at the right time. And here he is recovering in hospital now. So we salute Colin Dowler this week for sure. You may have heard the story this week about the three people who were arrested for interfering with the work of conservation officers in Coquitlam. Those officers were actually in the process of looking for three bears who ended up being put down. And because of the people kind of getting involved and saying, no, don't shoot, don't kill the bears, uh, those three people ended up being arrested. Their Their phones got taken away and it was a pretty big story this week. Now, this has become an unfortunately all too common occurrence because we are hearing, especially this summer, I feel like, more and more stories and instances of bears in neighborhoods and becoming too socialized almost and therefore having to be put down. We wanted to talk about this with animal rights lawyer Rebecca Brader, who joins us now uh, from Brader Law. Rebecca, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Now, this kind of story, is it my imagination or are we hearing more stories like this this year? Unfortunately, you're not imagining. I I wish I was too, but no, we're hearing many more and reports are out that there have been far more bear sightings and people complaining about having bears in the communities this year than in previous years. We don't know exactly why. I think the speculation is, well, for a number of reasons, there's like out in the Tri-Cities and Port Moody and Coquitlam, uh, there's construction, a lot of construction that's going on. And part of the problem is that bears are trying to find ways to get around the construction. Uh, and so there's they're right. being seen more. There's a food supply issue as well. So foods are looking for food. But fundamentally what the problem is, is that people, for whatever reason, they're just not getting the message that they have to get rid or hide the, the food attractants. So people are leaving garbage out or they're not locking their bins properly uh, or they still have bird feeders out as much as we love feeding birds. We shouldn't be doing it in these types of communities because it attracts bears. Right. And some of so those yeah, communities, of some of those communities have pretty strict rules about that, you know, like Coquitlam and Port Coquitlam, but it sounds like what is there not enough enforcement of that, like with the garbage and things? 
Yeah, exactly. And so let me get to the bylaws and rules in a moment. But the most recent story is uh, there's a family of bears now that's being literally hunted by the conservation services on Burquitlam uh, area, Burquitlam Mountain in, in Coquitlam. And they've already killed uh, at least a couple from what I understand so far. And now they're on the lookout for the cubs that are still out there. And again, they're saying that because the bears have become habituated, that they have no choice uh, but to kill these bears. So the, the rules, going back to your question about the rules, most communities, most cities like Coquitlam, like Port Moody, North Vancouver, um, Port, uh, Port Coquitlam, they have bylaws that, uh, that allow cities to fine people if they don't properly secure their garbage or if they leave food attractants out. Uh, so the authority already exists for the cities to find people. And what I find infuriating, really, is that cities are not using these powers and laws that currently exist to find people. In Coquitlam, uh, the report is out that there have been, just this year, 832 warnings that have been given to residents and only 52 tickets. And my question is, why not just ticket them find them right away instead of just giving them warnings. Uh, part of that may be, and I don't know this for a fact for Coquitlam, is that uh, sometimes the bylaws say that if it's a first offense, that warnings are to be issued. And then if there's a second offense, that's when the fines kick in. But I think the law is if that's the case, then the bylaws need to change that the cities can immediately find people. Because let's get real, like people will start taking this seriously if it starts hitting their wallet. Right. So that's what I was curious about. It's like, how many warnings are people allowed? Like if they 800 warnings, that's a lot. Are they saying that everybody listened after the first warning? Because that doesn't, the math doesn't add up on that. Probably not. No. And I think these are separate numbers, right? So 832 warnings to separate individuals and 52 tickets to separate individuals. Um, although maybe some of those tickets have been for uh, some repeat offenders, so to speak. But let me just give a shout out to Port Moody because I talked to them this morning, to okay. the bylaws at Port Moody. And I have to give them a shout out because they used to give warnings to first time offenders, so to speak. But as of last year, and especially this year, they haven't issued any warnings. They go straight to fining people. Oh. And and I think that is fantastic because I think that's the way that we're going to start seeing a change in, in people's behavior. And, and we need that because at this point, it's frustrating and it's just simply unacceptable to for people to make a conscious choice to not cohabitate, uh, cohabitate with wildlife when we need to. You know, this is right. their area as much as ours. So if, has Port Moody had any pushback on that, though? Because I would imagine that would be a big change for people to deal with. Now, I, I, there has been. And my understanding and from what I see, because I, I live in the Tri-Cities, is there has been pushback by residents who, by some, who think that it's unfair that they should be given a warning first because maybe they just didn't know and it was, you know, an honest mistake um, and they should be given a chance. But by the same token, uh, there are a lot of other residents who are happy with that change, that people should be fined. Right. And I fall in that camp. Right. <laughs> well, you feel like they should know you're moving to an area that you're moving to because it is a little more wilderness, right? A little more closer to nature. Exactly. Um, and you should know, don't plant fruit trees. Like, 
I know because we talk about this every year at this time. So yeah, do you think exactly. is ignorance of the neighborhood an excuse? Uh, I think that's definitely part of it. Ignorance and excuses part of it. I also think it's just carelessness and, and recklessness. And but but it also I think in some cases it really is an honest mistake um, that people make. But even I say even if it's an honest mistake, you know sometimes we have to pay for those honest mistakes. And, and in these types of situations, I think people need to pay for their honest mistake, because it will inevitably lead to the death of the bear. Right. What? How much money are we talking about for that fine, Rebecca? Uh, it ranges anywhere between $150 to $500. So it's not I've cheap. Seen. Yeah, it's not cheap. And even $150, okay, maybe to some that won't be a lot, but I can almost guarantee you start fining people at least over $100. Yeah, people are going to get annoyed and it, it, it'll take time. But Something has to be done because just simply shooting and killing bears because they live in our communities is not the answer. Do you think, do people just feel, is it too much of an inconvenience for them? Because I guess the rule is you can't put your garbage out at night if it's going, it's for pickup tomorrow morning. You essentially have to put it out in first thing in the morning before the garbage truck arrives. Yes, it, that's exactly it. You have to put out the garbage. From what I've seen from these bylaws, yes, you have to put out the garbage first thing in the morning. It's You're breaching, you're violating the bylaw if you're putting it out the night before. It will, some of the complaints that I've received, you know, people emailing me or even calling me sometimes, oh, what you're saying is not fair, you know, my schedule doesn't allow me to wake up at four or five in the morning to put the garbage out. I have no choice. I have to do it the night before. No, those are the rare cases. And if that's the case for uh, some of the listeners, then you know what? Get someone to help you. We are at a point right now, there have been many, far too many bears killed this year to just let things go as they are. We have to make a drastic change in not only our behavior, but our attitudes towards living together with wildlife. All right, Rebecca, thank you very much for your time on this. Thanks so much. That is Rebecca Breder, an animal rights lawyer at Breder Law. While we're talking about uh, being out and about nature, of course, long weekend ahead of us, a lot of people are going to be doing that. But not only are we seeing more kind of bear encounters in neighborhoods around Metro Vancouver, we are also seeing, unfortunately, a spike in some pretty deadly backcountry falls this summer. Seven deaths already uh, during recreational activities in the backcountry. That surpasses the three and a half kind of average that we've had of people who die in, in these kinds of related deaths during the summer months. That's actually the numbers according to the BC Coroner's Service. So given that we still have like, you know, more than a month to go here in this summer season and the long weekend upon us, you know, lots of people are going to be out and about this weekend in nature, hiking on trails, going up mountains, Wanted to make sure that you stay safe out there. So let's talk to Mike Danks, who is the director of North Shore Rescue, who joins us now. Mike, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on the show today. Have you experienced this? Have you seen an increase in these kinds of concerns and calls? Uh, We certainly have not seen any fatalities this year, which I'm happy to report. Um, We are seeing an increase in the number of calls we are getting. And, you know, I think it generally goes back to unprepared um, hikers and people that are kind of naive to the dangers of, um, you know, being unprepared in, in the backcountry. Right. And is that, that something that stays, it seems like steady over the years, right? Or like, are people more or less prepared? Well, I think we're just getting a lot more people out there. And I think, you know, we can kind of attribute that to social media 
it's become very trendy now to to hike and to socialize. Um, so, you know, over the last three or four years, our call volume has gone up, you know, 30%, and that's actually increased um, last year as well. So it's certainly going up, and you, the key that we're really trying to get out to people is just to do the research on the hike you're doing and make sure it's adequate to your fitness level. I mean, there's so many things you can do to be prepared, and um, checking the Adventure Smart website as well as NorthShoreRescue.com are all really helpful things. What are some of the basics, do you think, that people are forgetting? Well, I think the basics are, you know, as I kind of alluded to already, is just, you know, doing the research on the hike, making sure it's the adequate time to do that hike. On the North Shore, we have areas um, that are closed during the winter months. Um, They're closed for a reason because they're very hazardous, but um, everything now on the North Shore is all open. So making sure that, you know, it's a hike that you're able to do in in the set amount of time that you have in daylight hours. And if you're going to be going further remote, make sure you have a way to call for help if need be, because I think another thing that people are really naive to is that cell phones um, don't work everywhere on the North Shore. You tell me people actually think they can go anywhere and the phone's still going to work? Absolutely. And, you know, they use that phone for navigation. They use it as their call for help and they also use it as a light source. So, you know, that's that's not a good way to, to go about um, going for a hike. So we really recommend, you know, people that are new to hiking, join a hiking club um, or go with a friend. Like we really want to ensure that people have someone with them. Um, that's a, a big one because if something goes wrong, um, you need someone that can go call for help and, and, and be there for you. Right. And so does it seem like sometimes you must have this happen to you, Mike, where you see people going up hiking, are you shaking your head when you're seeing some of these people go up and going, look at their shoes, they're wearing flip-flops, like what are they thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) we see it quite a bit um, on the front side of Grouse Mountain even, but uh, you know what, maybe it's worth just mentioning to people, um, you know, hey, you know what, it would be a lot better if you were prepared, but you know, I, I know that some people take offense to that as well. So it's, they it's do? a real challenge. They do. Yeah, so they like don't if you, if you stop somebody and say, I, I don't think you're prepared, they take offense to that? Well, yeah. I, wow. You never know. You never know. <laughs> that's that's kind of crazy. I know. I, is it, it is. <laughs> I'm shaking my head, actually. So can, you can't even give advice then. You have to just rely on people to use their, I want to say common sense, but we know it's not that common, right? Yeah, that's right. And and honestly, that's why, you know, the more experienced hikers, you see they carry a lot of gear with them. And and that's a really positive thing because if they come across someone that is unprepared, at least they've got some extra equipment for them. But um, not saying that people shouldn't carry their own gear, that's for sure. Right. Okay. And what do you think has been the problem here? Do you think it is like social media, everybody wanted to kind of post their good time as opposed to making sure they're prepared for their good time? Well, I think it's... Again, like I keep saying naive, but people are are, are posting these um, beautiful peaks that we have in the backcountry that, that most people were not really aware of. And um, people are saying, oh, you know what, they went and did that. They look at the conditions in the picture, and maybe it's not even the same time of season. You know, it shows St. Mark's Summit um, with bare rock when really there's still snow up there, which is not the case now. But again, you know, I think... People are just kind of, they see that photo and they just want to get out there and go. But it's really worth taking, you know, the extra time and making right. sure that you're prepared. And, and you know, summer months like this weekend for sure will be busy because it's going to be nice weather out. So make sure you have adequate uh, water with you and hydration for 
um, and also food as well. Uh, okay, and once again, what was that website that you mentioned? Uh, AdventureSmart and NorthShoreRescue.com. All right, thanks so much, Mike. You bet. Take That's care. Mike Danks from North Shore Rescue uh, giving some advice on making sure you're prepared in the backcountry. Uh, it has been a bit deadly out there this summer. In BC's backcountry, seven people have been killed already while you know taking part in recreational activities, and that's more than the average of about three and a half that we get in a normal year. That's according to the BC Coroner's Service. So Mike's got some good advice there. Remember all that discussion about a public inquiry into money laundering? We got it, right? Big announcement from the provincial government months ago that, yes, they are going to undertake this process, and it's supposed to get underway, well, a few weeks from now, actually, just at the beginning of September, and they are ramping up. I was curious to know if you're going to be paying attention to all of this. What kind of headlines are we going to get? Is this going to be newsmaking? Is the public's interest still in this? Well, to talk more about this and everything else going on in Victoria these days, we're joined now by Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Hi, Vaughn. Good afternoon, Sammy. How are you doing? I am good, thank you. So it sounds like this has been kind of moving along silently behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, look, a public inquiry is a big deal, and it takes a while to set them up, and the government gave this one a very big mandate because they're supposed to look at money laundering in, take a deep breath, gambling, horse racing, banking, financial, sale of luxury goods, real estate, legal, accounting, corporate, like pretty much <laughs> everything, very long but list, yeah. the local lemonade stand. And uh, that's a lot of work. It's a big legal issue. You've got federal and provincial agencies, a lot of whistleblowers out there. So it does take a while to get them up and running. But look, uh, they're out this week. There's a website. It's uh, You can access it on the NW uh, website. Uh, they've got a commissioner, of course. He's a associate justice of B.C. Supreme Court, Austin Cullen. He's hired a trio of lawyers and an executive director. And I'm encouraged that. Uh, together, the people he's hired were involved in the Cohen inquiry on the fishery, the inquiry into the death of Frank Paul, the Jakansky case, uh, all the way back to the Citizens' Assembly on electoral reform. So there's a lot of people there who know how to run a public inquiry. And, hey, they're looking for participants. If you think you have something to contribute to this inquiry, I like this. If you think you've got something to contribute to this inquiry, other than just standing on the sidelines saying, get on with it, um, you can actually go on the website. You can write them a letter and tell them why you think you should be a witness, what you have to contribute, and they'll take a serious look at it because they think, you know, there's a bunch of... um, people out there that may know something about all this, and they're hoping you'll get in touch. Um, We sort of thought in our business, Simi, that it would be people that don't want to talk to them. (laughs) They they do have subpoena power. They can come after you. You can't hide from them. Um, If you've got documents, they can make you turn them over. But I, I sort of encourage that they're giving everybody the benefit of the doubt that everybody will want to talk to them at the front end. True. I also thought of all those stories that we did kind of leading up to this from some of the lower level employees who who saw these things, right, in places like the River Rock Casino. Those are the kinds of people I'm thinking would finally relish the opportunity to have their story told and somebody is listening to them. Yeah, and you're right. And the, the interesting thing about the way a public inquiry works, and I talked to one of the lawyers for the inquiry yesterday, was he said, you know, it, it, in some ways it's like a trial, but in some ways it isn't like a trial. 
the judge is not just sitting there waiting for the trial to begin, the public hearings. Uh, Collins involved already, and he and his staff of lawyers sit down, and, they, and they'll decide who is actually a witness. There'll be many people that they may talk to who may just give them information, lead to in, uh, lines of inquiry, point them to somebody who definitely should be a witness, and that's one reason why we probably won't get the full-blown public hearings until 2020. So the government's only given them two years to get all this done, but um, as I said, talking to them yesterday, he said, well, you know, first of all, the work has already started. They've already started to put together a list of, of people to talk to. And, of course, you've got the two reports that came out from Peter German, who's the expert on right. um, money laundering. And, and they've been looking at some of the media coverage, too. You know, we've all interviewed uh, various people as whistleblowers. So I'd say, you know, it's a very serious effort that they're clearly determined to get going. Another thing that's pretty encouraging, and I might want to have a look at it, it's Cullen himself has put a statement out on the website that's addressed to British Columbians. And it's interesting. He says, look, uh, you know that the, the mandate for this commission was written by the government, and the timetable was written by the government, and the government's going to be paying the bills, but, but it's independent, I'm independent. I'll decide the commissioner, uh, and make sure that the inquiry is seen as fair, balanced, and that, you know, you hear all sides of the story and everybody gets a fair hearing. So I think he's concerned that the thing not be seen as kind of a political put-up job, but as a fair and open and balanced public inquiry. Interesting. So how much of this are we going to be able to kind of follow along with? What's access going to be like? Is this all going to be kind of publicized? He says open and transparent. So, you know, when they when people, uh, there will be a list of witnesses. There will be a list of how they're going to proceed. They, they haven't decided yet whether or not it'll be, um, they're going to be based in Vancouver, obviously, but they may have hearings in other parts of the province. There may be enough witnesses, for instance, to lead them to go to the capital or Kamloops, where the Lottery Corporation is headed. I'm just picking that out of the air. I asked them whether they're going to call politicians, um, former officials in the last government, and they said, oh, look, it's premature. Uh, but I expect that some of the people who've been named again and again uh, in the controversy in the last government are going to want to go and tell their side right. of the story, whether, and, and they may be asked. I mean, they can subpoena people, but um, they're saying at this point that they think the federal agencies will cooperate. The uh, federal government's already indicated that. I wondered, Simi, if you might see the kind of problem we've seen in the past where you get a clash between the public inquiry and, say, the RCMP right. or the prosecutors. We've had cases in the past where, like, the missing women inquiry ended up in a legal battle with the RCMP. Um, they say they don't think so because the government has clearly written the terms of reference for the inquiry to say um, you're not to try to revisit uh, decisions made by prosecutors in the past. So right. you're not, you're not, if the prosecutors looked at it and they didn't lay criminal charges, you're not allowed to call the prosecutors and bring them back and ask right. them why they didn't do that. Just fact-finding. That's all you're yeah. doing. And you stay the heck of the way out of the police. If there's a matter that the police are currently investigating, don't get into it because you could mess up the case. So what does that leave? Well, they can 
find, they can make findings of misconduct, that's the word they use, by, uh, for example, people who worked in regulatory agencies who didn't do what they were supposed to do, and they can make findings of misconduct against politicians. Under the rules of public inquiries in this country, and you'll know this because we've been down yes. this road before, the commission has to tell someone that, look, our final report is going to say you screwed up on your job. You failed to do your job, you yeah. screwed up. You have to tell them ahead of time and give them a chance to respond. And that's, to me, from what I've seen in the past, that might be where their timetable gets thrown off. A person who's going to be criticized, who feels that their reputation will be damaged or destroyed, uh, who feels that the next step might be a criminal investigation, although the commission can't actually lay charges, uh, that person might hire a lawyer and go to court and fight the release of the report. That might happen down the road. But we're obviously a long distance from that. Yet yeah, the final report isn't due till May of 2021. It seems to me that they're leaving this wide open then for people to come to their own conclusions, right? About what they hear. That would seem to be pretty handy right before an election. Uh, look, I don't think there's any mystery that the government, uh, you know, you don't have to be very suspicious to think government set this whole thing up and framed it so that uh, they may have ammunition on the eve of the next election. The election is set for the third Saturday in October of 2021. The report is due in May of 2021, so that, that leaves a few months leeway. Even if it's held up, they get something out. I think that's obviously what the New Democrats are hoping, but, you know, again, the commission may end up... Um, if it if it really you know they they say they're going to be fair and open and balanced the liberals are saying they got nothing to hide so um, you know we'll see I asked them you know there's this argument going on between the liberals and the uh, New Democrats over documents that are supposedly right. in governments that you know these are reports that went to the liberal government and because they're cabinet confidential the liberals need to give permission to release it and the New Democrats are saying give that permission, and the Liberals are saying, well, tell us what documents you're referring to, and we'll decide. Well, the Commission could sort all that out. The Commission has the power to ask for stuff, and if they don't get it, they have the power to subpoena it. And if, uh, you know, they they send out a subpoena, and somebody says, well, we can't release this because it's covered by cabinet privilege or legal privilege, the Commissioner can say, okay, I'm hmm. a judge. You come and explain to me what's confidential about this. So, I think people would like to see that. Yeah, so he can get to the bottom of things. The one thing he can't do, and I know some of the commentary, uh, I mean, the stuff we've heard from members of the public is they think this is going to, you know, be criminal charges. If they find anything criminal, they just have to hand it over to the police. A, a public inquiry can't lay charges in this country, um, so they just have to pass that on to right. the cops and see what happens. Well, a lot for us to talk about this fall. Now, before I let you go, Vaughn, yeah, sure. today on the show, we have been talking about uh, where it is in this day and age you're supposed to meet somebody to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. A friend of, the, friend of the show, somebody who used to work here, has asked for some help in that regard. And we're trying to answer the question. And we've heard some great stories about how people met their significant other. How did you meet your lovely wife? Uh, 40 years ago. It's a hard to believe anybody would put up with me for 40 years, but there you go. <laughs> I was a music critic for The Sun, and my wife, Dale, was The Sun's artist. And I was often assigned to uh, do feature stories and cover stories for the paper's magazine, and she would be designed to do the cover. And for some inexplicable reason, she decided I had a very good sense of humor and I was fun to work with. And uh, 
the rest is history. Wait, did she ask you out? Uh, that's a really good question. No, I asked her out. Oh. I invited her to a concert uh, by Joni Mitchell. Nice. Yeah, free, t- free, free tickets. tickets I was going to say, I didn't free. even cost me much. <laughs> Take her out on a date. Did you tell her that? Do you like, these are free tickets? Because I'm thinking <laughs> you should probably not. <laughs> she was just starry-eyed at going to see Joni Mitchell, right? I think she'd have put up with anybody to see Joni Mitchell. Well, that must have been the life. Uh, thank you for that. Okay. Have a good long weekend. <laughs> yeah. That's Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun newspaper. Let's get an update on that top story that we have been hearing about today. This has to do with the shooting in South Surrey in a drive through Our senior reporter, Janet Brown, has been at the scene. She's joining us now to talk about what she has learned so far. Hi, Janet. Good afternoon, Simi, and uh, still pretty chaotic here on the scene. Uh, I am at the South Point Mall, and it's on busy 152nd Street near 30th, just near the overpass over Highway 1. People should be very, pardon me, over Highway 99. People would be very familiar with that. And it happened at 9.20 this morning. And it happened in a drive through Now, the RCMP are saying it happened in the drive through of a financial institution here. But as I'm on scene and, and get as close to it as I can behind the yellow police tape, it appears that the shooting happened actually in the Starbucks drive through So can you imagine the chaos yeah. at 920 this morning, Simi, the person behind the counter inside the Starbucks serving this victim? Um, I also spoke to a gentleman in the parking lot here, which is, as I say, it's kind of chaotic because it's still open to people coming and going from the Save-On Food Store, Tim Hortons, etc. And the police have taped off a large area of, of this mall, so it's pretty crazy in and out here. But anyways, I caught up with a gentleman called David Burke, and he lives nearby. And his wife was in the Starbucks this morning when she heard shots fired. And what did she do? She got on the phone to her husband, and she's screaming, Honey, there's a shooting. I'm in Starbucks. Help. Can you imagine getting that call oh, as the husband? Ter- Plus, you, you think your wife is just at Starbucks, right? Like, who among us yeah. doesn't think it's, it's no big deal to go into the coffee shop? A beautiful Friday morning. You're, you're uh, going through the Starbucks to gra- grab a Java, and, and this happens. So he gets the call, hangs up, comes rushing down here. Uh, he had a lot to say to me, but I'm going to play a, a small clip of what he had to say now. Listen to this. It's sad to say that, you know, it should be weighing on my mind heavier than it is, but because we've heard of this happen so often, it's it's kind of like what's happening in the States. You you become almost immune to it. You you become numb to it. So, it's sad. And I think he expresses how everybody's feeling here, Simi, with those comments, most definitely. Now, now here's the other part of the story. So, okay. we have one victim who is dead, a man, we're told. He's still in his vehicle with the yellow tarp covering it as uh, I hit and other members of police agencies are here investigating. Now, we are told by the RCMP that two suspects, two suspects fled in a vehicle after the shooting. They were on 152nd and apparently they were ping-ponging off various curbs and vehicles. They got a flat tire, so they couldn't go any further. They abandoned the vehicle and started off on foot. And that's how the RCMP, we are told, were able to capture them. Hmm. Uh, they are now in custody. We do not have their names. Charges right now have not been laid. We don't know the name of the victim or how old he is or any of those particulars. So we right now are waiting for I hits Frank Jang, Sergeant Frank Jang, to uh, provide an update. Okay. So that's where we are right now, Simi. Um, it's 
still, as I say, it seems to be very fluid situation. RCMP all over uh, this shopping mall arcade. So okay. that's as much as we know right now. That's quite a bit, Janet. Listen, thanks very much for the update. My pleasure. Thank you. That is Global News Senior Reporter Janet Brown with the latest on this shooting in South Surrey. Uh, that is a really quite like residential area there. I know it well, and I'm, I'm sure neighbors and everybody there are just in shock over what has happened. It's right off of Highway 99 at the 152nd overpass there. Uh, so Janet Brown will continue to cover that story today, and we will have all those details for you throughout the afternoon right here on CKNW.